a Radio 191 FM podcast. Mr. Speaker. Oh, indeed, from Stephen Joyce. All uh, right, it is Monday morning. It is half past eight. That means it is time for politics with John Moore. And today we're joined by special guest Jeffrey Miller, political commentator. Morena to you both. Kirakoto. Good morning, Jamie good. and John. Good to be with you. Uh, yeah, good to have you here too, Jeffrey. Thanks for coming in. Right, we're going to start off this morning with Claire Curran. She's retiring for the second time. Retired from a portfolio, now retiring for retiring from Parliament altogether. Uh, one of her legacies uh, will be the efforts that she put into overhauling the public broadcasting landscape here in Aotearoa. Uh, she planned to give RNZ its own TV channel, TVNZ Plus, uh, and there were a few other things as well. But now Chris Farfoy has that portfolio, and there is rumours um, there could be the biggest we could be in for the biggest overhaul in the public broadcasting in the past thirty years. Um, what is the state of public broadcasting right now? Who are the players? What's going on, John? Um, well, of course, we've got TVNZ uh, with their two channels, which is, is run uh, purely on a commercial basis, mm. we have to say. Um, and uh, RNZ, Radio New Zealand, of course, um, which it does operate as a public broadcasting service on radio, also with some uh, video clips as well. Um, so that was the basis, really, for Claire Curran trying to um, get Radio New Zealand to develop a, a, prob- a televised pr- public broadcasting service. Um, what we're looking at now is, is far more radical change, quite possibly, from this Labour-led government. It's all in the context, really, of the crisis of the media. Mm. Um, and we know that at Radio 1, we, everyone who works from um, newspapers to digital media to television to radio knows that the, um, throughout the world, really, uh, media is in a crisis. And it all really comes down to, to money. Mm. How, how in this era of the internet, um, where everyone wants their media for free, how how does media make money? Uh, TVNZ, which has traditionally made reasonably good profits, um, uh, is, is looking at actually um, um, not making a profit at all, and the government has declared they don't have to pay dividends any longer. TV3, uh, media works is in crisis. TV3 could could potentially wind up and collapse. Um, and and so the question is, uh, in this in this time of crisis for the media, uh, how can the government promote? Uh, uh, the fourth estate, a, a critical voice, and and so one of the answers is that um, yeah, the, the government steps in uh, and actually um, creates a public broadcasting service from scratch, or actually turns TVNZ into a true public broadcasting service, such as the BBC in Britain or the ABC in Australia. Mm-hmm. We could see something like TV One going ad free. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that in turn would help TV Three out. Mm. No doubt, in terms of gathering more revenue for themselves, same flight. But we don't. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Well, I mean, okay, so that might be happening. We've already got the industry of NZ on air. So where would that place them? Um, what do you think about that, Jeffrey? Yeah, well, New Zealand on air actually has a reasonably large amount of money. Um, mm. I mean, 
in terms of uh, what we spend on broadcasting in New Zealand. Uh, Radio New Zealand gets only around $35 uh, million every year. That comes through uh, New Zealand on air. But then there's about $100 million on top of that that New Zealand on air has to to play with, if you like. Uh And most of that gets spent on individual programs uh, commissioned by the broadcasters, by uh, TVNZ, by TV3, for example. Um, You know, examples of programs would be Country Calendar, Uh for example, on TV1 or Q&A, The Nation, News Hub Nation, which are these politics programs that uh, go out uh, primarily at the weekend, uh, now Monday nights, for Q&A. But of that $100 million, an increasing amount is also going to non-traditional broadcasters, not just to the big players. The the money is also going um, to the New Zealand Herald and Stuff websites, for example, for certain elements, elements of content there. Also, some money goes on regional programming, uh, like Needham's Channel 39, uh-huh. local music production. Some money, I think, goes to Radio 1, indeed. So, indeed. you know, that $100 million is spread quite thinly. And, you know, New Zealand On Air in recent years has argued, you know, that they want to spend more money on programs that are popular and that rate. And uh, an example of this, I mean, New Zealand they used to fund primetime documentary slots on both TV1 and TV3. If you go back 15, 20 years ago, there was documentary New Zealand on a Monday night on mm-hmm. TV1. Inside New Zealand was on, I think, on Wednesday on TV3. But in recent years, they've focused more on, on popular uh, primetime programming like uh, Grand Design, Seven Days, the GC. These are all examples of programs that have got New Zealand on their money. Now, New Zealand on Air argues that these shows rate very well and therefore deserve public money, but you could also argue that if they're so popular, they could actually be supported by advertising alone. So anyway, there's a lot of money. New Zealand has about $100 million. A lot of this money goes into private operators in one form or another, and the argument is that you could take this $100 million and give it to a new public broadcaster. You know, it would be, uh, wouldn't be huge amounts of money in terms of you know, international comparisons, but it would oh. be a decent chunk of, of change that could be given to TVNZ to become non-commercial. And if you merge TVNZ with Radio New Zealand, for example, you know, you would reduce some duplication in the news services, for example, um, and, you know, would get some synergies there. And there's also the question what you would do with uh, Maori television. Uh, it gets around, uh, well, it gets around $30 million of direct funding. And there's another $30 million on top of that, that Te Mangai uh, Pahu, which is the Maori uh, Broadcasting Funding Agency, gets. So, um Murray uh, programming in New Zealand is funded separately and there's also a question whether you could merge this in uh, with a unified public broadcast. I'm a little sceptical whether that would happen because uh, Maori broadcasting really comes under a treaty obligation part of the treaty settlements process mm. I think it's more likely that would be kept separate Okay, I mean, so if, if full funding or the full allocation for from NZ on Air goes to a new public broadcasting service, what happens to the shows that produced on TV3. What happens to the Radio Ones, the the rest of the student network? What happens to the small broadcasters? Are, are we a little bit too big? I'm oh, sorry. Are we a little bit too small to have um, all these entities? Well, the reality is, if, if the money is shifted to a public broadcasting service um, in the guise of, of say, TVNZ, um, which would be ad-free, then um, um, services like um, Radio One here in Dunedin, uh, other student radio, um, uh, local Dunedin station, money that's going to uh, TV3, etc., could all be cut off or, or heavily reduced. Um, 
people who are for a publicly fund um, ad free uh, public service might say well that's a good thing uh, because you're um, you're you've now got a real um, um, uh, public service, such as the BBC in Britain or ABC in Australia, um, rather than the state subsidising a whole lot of private, mm. um, and in some cases, uh, profit-centred platforms. Um, obviously, Radio One's not profit-centred, but other platforms such as uh, Stuff, uh, The Herald, etc., uh, all about um, you know turning the dollar and making a profit. Should should the taxpayer be subsidising such platforms? My argument would be. Um, <laughs> would be uh, that we should be cautious about all this money being put in, in, into one service mm. um, owned by the state. I think if we... A lot of the arguments for the state stepping in and, and handing out this money is that we, we need a critical voice in society. Uh, we need a, a, a robust fourth estate um, that, that is... Um, um, turning out news but also turning out uh, critical points of view of what is happening in our society with the government etc and if all the money goes into one state service uh, I think there's a real danger that the, 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 more, the diversity of views we have at the moment could str shrink significantly. Yeah. Um, the left tends to um, support uh, um, public broadcasting and state-run public broadcasting uh, but there's also um, arguments on both the left and right coming from a more libertarian point of view, left libertarian, right libertarian, that there's real dangers if, this, if the state suddenly monopolises um, the media. Um, and, yeah, so I think uh, uh, we should be wary, uh, at, or at least critical, of, of this move to, to put all that stash of money into one state-run service. Yeah, I mean... Um, and the other thing you, you risk losing is um, community aspects. Like if you you know uh, you mentioned BBC earlier, but they've got BBC Northwest, they've got BBC mm. South, they've got um, different BBC um, stations planted all around the country, and, and they they do a lot of focusing on what goes on locally. And I don't think New Zealand could probably pull off the same thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a big question. I mean, I think the, th the thing is, this $100 million that New Zealand and Air gets, which, you know, you could say could go to a new public broadcaster, it's not that much money no. in the scheme of things. And, uh, you know, you'd need to bring in a lot more new money, really, to have a public broadcaster that in any way approaches even what the ABC does in Australia, mm. which is a lot smaller in turn than, the, you know, the BBC, for example. And, um, you know, this government is, is a fin financially very conservative government and is not really willing to, to flash the cash, really, and uh, spend up large. So, you know, y the risk is that you could get kind of the worst of both worlds where you end up with a public broadcaster which is kind of crippled by a lack of funding and then you lose, you know, some of the diversity, the pluralism, um, you know, with funding for, you know, some of these other uh, outlets, uh, Radio 1 being one of them. Yes, we don't want to do that. Something we certainly don't want to do. Um, okay, what, what's happening at TV3? What's happening in MediaWorks? Um, I mean, they've been in trouble for years. They've gone from being owned, uh, you know, by a couple of rich people to being owned by the bank. Uh, you know, they've gone into receivership. Mm. Um, you know, they've been on, on a knife edge. Um, and, and it doesn't look like... There's no signs of it slowing. It doesn't look like it's getting any better over at MediaWorks at all. Um, acro across the board. I mean, their radio arm's doing okay, mm. uh, but it really is um, plugging a hole for, for the television side of things. So what's happening with MediaWorks and what is likely to happen? And should, the me should we, the taxpayer, step in if something 
does go wrong because do we need that kind of are we too big or are we too small to have two big players and do we need them well, there's a real possibility that um, uh, MediaWorks uh, television stations, TV3, etc., will collapse. Um, uh, they're, they're not making a profit. Uh, and and um, so, yeah, you raise uh, the crucial question, should the state step in in some way uh, to prop up um, a TV3 channel again? There's a whole lot of political questions about, well, should the state be propping up um, private enterprise in any form? Yeah. Um, um, you know, uh, helping uh, the the major shareholders of um, MediaWorks to be multi-millionaires. Why would we want to step in and help them do that? But of course, there's, there's a crucial argument is that if we want diversity in the media um, and, and um, standalone stations and, and private um, media platforms can't survive on their own, then maybe the state does need to step in. Um, but then why give uh, preference to TV3 and MediaWorks? There's a, a whole lot of potential um, alternatives uh, to TVNZ, um, so why should you give a special privilege to TV3 in terms of a state support? And then the whole question comes down to, well, if, if the state is the crucial element in keeping the media going, even in a private form, such as media works, does that give the state undue influence over what is being reported? Um, do we at uh, Radio 1 uh, are we conscious or not of, of the fact that we get state funding and does that limit what we say? Maybe, maybe not, but um, it's always, when you have the state in the background being the major funder suddenly for the media, I think that can have a negative effect and, and again, and even though you might have a diversity of platforms when the money's coming from the state, that can I think it can uh, have a chilling effect on what is said and, and people's ability to be critical of uh, the hand that is uh, feeding them. Is, is, is that the rule or is that just people's perception? Um, well, at the moment, uh, you know, with um, um, New Zealand on air, uh, th that funding has to be applied for, um, and obviously New Zealand air turns down certain proposals. Um, so the, the 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 people who are making that decision on the board of New Zealand on air, um, it's not a democratic and open process in terms of we, we don't get to to choose who's on that board. Uh, the government does, um, and and inevitably. Um, the personal tastes, at least, of those people who are handing out the funding are going to shape who they give money to. Mm. Um, and the argument is also that their their ideological and political views are to some indirectly or directly are going to shape who they hand the money to. Radio New Zealand is a perfect example. Um, everyone knows that Radio New Zealand leans to the left, mm. is, is liberal, if not, you could call it the, the woke media platform in New Zealand, if you like. Um, now, uh, if you're woke and liberal and left-leaning, you might say, cool, great, it's great that Radio New Zealand is like that. But, <laughs> but again, it doesn't lead to a diversity yeah. of views. It, 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 should a state broadcasting platform be coming from a, a, a certain ideological point of view and I say no, no. Uh, something like Radio New Zealand should represent a diversity of views. But if, if they weren't left leading you wouldn't have a major station in New Zealand that wasn't I mean that was, I mean if you look at you know, which is mm. funny, um, you look at the other the two big players, News Talk ZB uh, and Magic which was Radio Live mm. in terms of uh, commentary um, they're both very very to the right 
Yeah, I mean, it is ironic with TVNZ being the state broadcaster that has leaned uh, towards the right over the But that's the, the thing around but, the world. Mm. In Western countries everywhere, um, PBS, BBC is super four, ABC in Australia. Mm. Although the ABC is generally seen as leaning to the left in Australia and gets a lot of flack from, mm. the, um, from the Liberal National Coalition government. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a perfect example, again, where uh, the problematic nature of having a, a state-run entity, that if it says things that the state doesn't like, the government doesn't like, then in, in Australia the, the, um, the government can be quite blatant in its yeah. attacks on the ABC, threatening funding, etc. So, um, we yeah. see Trump do the same in the States with... PBS, yes. especially with the great documentary about the Mueller report, um, which was which, which was really good. All right, we better move on to our second subject: um, the war in Yemen. Um, uh, uh, it's been in a state of civil war since 2015. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on over there, Jeffrey? Yeah, well, essentially, you've got two factions in the Yemeni civil war. You've got the internationally recognised uh, Yemeni government, which is headed by uh, President Abdul Rabbi Mansour Hadi on the one hand, and then on the other side you've got the Houthi rebels. Now, Hadi, President Hadi's forces uh, and allies follow the Sunni branch of Islam, and they're being backed financially and also in terms of weapons, by chiefly by uh, Saudi Arabia, which is the neighbouring Gulf country, mm-hmm. and also by the United Arab Emirates, and also by the West, uh, by the United States, and by Britain, by France. Um, even Australia has been sending uh, weapons to uh, to, to uh, Hadi's forces in Yemen. Now, the Hadi forces, they're based uh, chiefly in the port city of Aden uh, in the south of Yemen. On the other side, you've got the Houthi rebels, uh, which uh, who are Shiites, and they're backed by Iran, and their stronghold is uh, inland in the uh, Yemeni capital of Sana'a. So there's the basic picture, but the situation has become even more complicated because you've got splinterings in the Hadi faction. There's now a separatist group called the Southern Transitional Council, which essentially wants uh, a separate country in the south of Yemen. Now, they're backed by the United Arab Emirates, but not by Saudi Arabia. Now, there is some precedent for a separate state in Yemen because Yemen was divided into two countries uh, from 1967 until uh, 1990. Now, on top of this... You've got all kinds of other actors and terrorist groups, Al-Qaeda in the uh, Arabian Peninsula uh, and the Islamic State group, various terrorist groups are are operating. Uh, IS conducted a suicide bomb attack, for example, uh, just on Friday in Aden and killed six people. And this is a regular occurrence in Yemen, sadly, at the moment. Um, It sounds like there are a lot of players (laughs) in in that conflict. Um, I mean, what is in it for them? Why, you know, why are they backing the the, the Sunnis or the Shiites? Um, what are they trying to achieve? I mean, what's what's the um, what's Saudi Arabia's part in the game? Well, I mean, this is a proxy war essentially. What you've got this war in Yemen is called a civil war, but essentially it's a proxy war for Saudi Arabia and Iran, which are the two um, major regional powers, um, and you know they're fighting out their conflict. Uh, on all kinds of countries around the mm. region, and Syria as well, uh, also in, in Libya and Sudan. You're also seeing uh, civil conflicts which have a fair amount of foreign intervention in them. And, you know, sadly for the Yemeni people, um, they're having to suffer, yeah. um, you know, these these regional powers fighting out their, their wars in, in their country. And 
the numbers are pretty shocking in, in Yemen. The UN has called uh, the Yemen crisis the world's worst uh, humanitarian disaster. And uh, you just look at the numbers, they're, they're really uh, just horrible. Um, you've had almost 100,000 people killed since the start of the war in 2015, including around 20,000 civilians, another 50,000 wounded. And 80% of the Yemeni population, so the Yemeni population is about 30 million, about 24 million are at risk of starvation, um, according to the, to the UN. Um, Save the Children estimates that 84,000 children have already died from starvation since the conflict began. Wow. I mean, the numbers are just shocking. And, yeah. and this is not a conflict we hear a lot about on the, the news, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just really, really terrible what's going going on there. And, and the situation is not getting better. If anything, it's getting worse. And the Yemeni civil war is looking more and more like the Syrian civil war. We've got so many players all, you know... Uh, following their own agenda yeah and and destroying the country in the process yeah you say something john yeah i think um, um uh, some of the ideological issues that are at play is that divide between sunni and, and shia mm. muslims and and also the role that saudi arabia sees itself in the muslim world as wanting to be the supreme power holding hegemony over the muslim world iran is their main competitor so even though uh, um Iran is Shia, it does promote a f form of sort of pan-Islamic ideology, that it wants to, to be seen as leader, a leader of Muslims in general, including Sunni. So whereas Saudi Arabia is, is Sunni chauvinist, yeah. it's the Sunni way or the highway, um, Iran is more flexible on that question. So there's a, there's a part of it's a competition over um, who holds hegemony in the Middle East, Iran or Saudi Arabia, and who, who holds hegemony in the Muslim world as well. And um, a lot of uh, people forget or maybe not aware that one of the big divides in the Muslim world is that divide between Sunni and Shia, where, um, from myself, from living in Southeast Asia, I was very aware um, that for Sunni Muslims that they are taught uh, by the state and by private um, organisations and by mosques that, that Shia are evil, uh, that Shia are destructive and want to destroy Sunni, mm -hmm. uh, and that Shia are really the, the real terrorists, that Sunni are fine. So there's this real sort of uh, form of chauvinism that is dominant within the Sunni world, which is quite scary, um, uh, and, it, and, and it's used to justify, um, for example, this war in Yemen, that, that, that there's a need for um, uh, Sunnis throughout the world to back Saudi Arabia in this war against Shia. Um, there's a whole lot of other divides within the Muslim world as well, um, but states like Saudi Arabia use this form of Sunni chauvinism to, to justify their dominant place in the world, mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. Muslim world. All right, well, I'm sorry, Les, but we've run out of time. Um, there's a lot more to that that we could have talked about, but um, time does fly on the radio. Mm. Uh, indeed. Um, all right, so thank you for coming in, uh, John, as always. And Jeffrey, thank you so much for coming in this thank morning. Thank you very much, Hopefully Jim. we'll see you a few more times. Hope so. Yeah, all right. It is that was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.